A reading from the Gospel of Matthew. Now when Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who has been born a king of the Jews? For we have seen his star in the east and have come to worship him. When Herod the king heard this, he was troubled, and all Jerusalem with him. And assembling all the chief priests and scribes of the people, he inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. They told him in Bethlehem of Judea. Then Herod summoned the wise men secretly and ascertained from them what time the star appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem, saying, Go and search diligently for the child, and when you have found him, bring me word, that I too may come and worship him. When they had heard the king, they went their way, and behold, the star which they had seen in the east went before them, till it came to rest over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy, and going into the house, they saw the child with Mary, his mother, and they fell down and worshipped him. Then opening their treasures, they offered him gifts, gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And being warned in a dream not to return to Herod, they departed to their own country by another way. There is a very interesting phenomenon that is occurring today in contemporary spirituality, um, both in the church and outside the church. And even though in many places uh, fewer people are attending church and practicing uh, organized religion, there is an increasing interest in things like contemplative prayer and mysticism and really just the life of contemplation in general. There is actually so much today that is being written of and spoken on this topic. And probably, quite honestly, more than ever in any time period of the church. And at least from what I have read and, and listened to in this conversation, there is a lot of sincerity and there's a lot of genuine desire from people for God. And in this conversation, there is a, a lot of emphasis on things like prayer practices, like how do I pray? There's a lot of emphasis on things like personal experiences, things like posture and length of time for prayer, all of which, of course, have their place in our relationship with God, but none of them by themselves reveals God to us more fully. Now, why do I say that? Because 
all of these things still have us at the center to some degree. How I pray, what my uh, experience is, how I sit or kneel for prayer, where I pray. And again, none of those things are bad. Those things are not irrelevant by any means. But none of those things is contemplation or authentic mysticism. So in this contemporary conversation, there are a few things that are left out. And one of those things that seems to me, at least, again, from what I have read, that seems to be left out, which is essential for a life of deepening prayer and intimacy with God, is simply what I like to call the way of Mary, or other spiritual writers would call it union with Mary. In the account of the Magi, in chapter 2 of Matthew, in verse 11, we heard these words. When they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. And going into the house, they saw the child with Mary, his mother. And they fell down and worshipped him. That line is a gold mine in Mariology. I mean, there literally are books written just about that verse. Specifically the line, when they saw, the, they saw the child with Mary, his mother. Why is this way of Mary then so conducive for us to a life of deepening prayer and intimacy with God? Because wherever Mary is, Jesus is. They saw the child with Mary, his mother. This is what every person has experienced and is experiencing and will experience when they turn to Mary. The Magi, just like the shepherds in the last talk, just like St. Elizabeth at the visitation, just like Simeon and Anna in the temple, and so many others. Where do they find Jesus? They find him with Mary, his mother. In his uh, little book, The Secret of Mary, St. Louis de Montfort says that there are three levels of devotion or three levels of relationship that one can have with Mary. And the first, he says, is just basic spirituality. So in this level, somebody is just simply fulfilling the duties of the Christian state. They pray to Our Lady occasionally, 
They are avoiding mortal sin. They're honoring her as the mother of God. But what is lacking here is a, is a deep personal love for Mary. And really a lack of awareness of how important she is for one's relationship with God. In this first level, then, Mary is, is sort of like in the background of, of one's life. And in the second level, and according at least to St. Louis de Montfort, he says this is where most Catholics are. He says here one begins to have a deeper love and a deeper esteem and confidence in Mary. There is a personal love for Mary that is beginning to develop. On this, and in this level, one begins to pray the rosary. They venerate Our Lady's pictures. They visit her shrines. They make her known to others. And he says, this level of devotion is good, and it's praiseworthy, but it's not perfect. The third and the best level, at least, again, according to St. Louis de Montfort, is that in, one, in this level, a person surrenders themselves in, this, in the manner of a slave to Mary and to Jesus through her. And that they perform all of their actions with her, through her, and in her. We give ourselves to Jesus through Mary, which is simply imitating Jesus who gave himself to us through Mary. <clears throat> now, obviously, this term, holy slavery, is somewhat difficult for us, especially in the modern period. But obviously, what he's suggesting here is a slavery of free choice and of love, the complete giving of oneself. To me, it seems like he's just emphasizing the fact of we freely give ourselves to her and that we no longer belong to ourselves. And so what could this possibly mean? And what does this look like for us in real life? You know, some people have criticized St. Louis de Montfort and said that his, his writings on Our Lady is too exaggerated. It's too uh, pious and too flowery. But I think maybe before we try to understand that, as always, let's frame this in another biblical context. In John 19, verse 27, and this passage has its own talk, but we'll just touch on it briefly here. We hear that, John writes that then he said to the disciple, Behold your mother. And from that hour, the disciple took her to his own home. 
again, another goldmine in Mariology. After the crucifixion, John takes Mary home to live with her. Do you think that St. John ignored Mary in his own home? Do you think that St. John felt like he was just doing Jesus a favor by taking care of Mary? Do you think that St. John felt burdened by having Mary with him? Do you think that St. John felt like Mary was getting in the way of his relationship with Jesus? Obviously not. But instead, now, St. John begins to live his life with Mary, through Mary, and for her. And how do we know that? Well, I think one sort of obvious answer is simply look at his gospel, which you all do, probably every day. The gospel of St. John is without a doubt the most profound work that has ever been written. And how did he write such a profound gospel? Given that he wasn't a writer or necessarily a trained theologian. I believe it was because he was living with Mary. Every day, he served her. Every day, he spoke with her. Every day, he listened to her. And he did whatever she told him to do. He gave himself completely in love and devotion to Mary. And what did she give him in return? She gave him Jesus. She gave him a deeper knowledge of Jesus. A deeper understanding and a deeper love for Jesus. And every single day as he lived his life with Mary, he got to see with his own eyes what holiness looks like. She became the model and the way in which he would grow in holiness. St. Louis de Montfort says that Mary is everywhere the fruitful virgin. She produces in the depths of the soul where she dwells a purity of heart and body, 
a singleness of intention and purpose, and a fruitfulness in good works. And then he says, do not think that Mary, the most fruitful of all God's creatures, who went so far as to give birth to a God-man, remains idle and a docile soul. But rather, she causes Jesus to live continuously in that soul, and that soul to live in continuous union with Jesus. You know, I'm sure all of us have done um, some form of consecration to Mary, whether it's St. Louis de Montfort, St. Maximilian Colby, or 33 Days to Morning Glory, whichever, whichever one it is. But this total consecration to Mary is not meant to be something that we merely check off in sort of the nice Catholic check-off list box. We can't just simply say, okay, good, now I'm consecrated to Mary. Nothing else is necessary. Total consecration, or the way of Mary, is not an event or a moment in our spiritual life. It's meant to be a lifestyle. In many ways, it is our spiritual life. When we consecrate ourselves totally to Mary, not only are we following in the footsteps of St. John, St. Louis de Montfort, St. Maximilian Kolbe, and so many other saints, but we are following in the footsteps of Jesus, who gave himself totally to Mary. In other words, we are simply doing what God has done. And again, to sort of bring this out a little more deeply, there are so many examples I could give. But I'll try and limit myself to only three. Out of love for Mary, God gave her special privileges. Obviously, her immaculate conception, her assumption, and so many more. He created her free of any imperfection, most pure, more full of grace than all of the angels and saints. And God has already glorified her in her body, along with Jesus, before the general resurrection. Could any of this have occurred? Could Mary's immaculate conception or assumption have occurred if God had not given himself fully to her? The answer, of course, is no. The angel Gabriel greets her as being full of grace. 
What is grace? It's God's life. She is full of God's life because he has given himself fully to her. In Jesus' conversation with Nicodemus, at the end of that conversation, John says these famous words, God so loved the world that he gave his only son, not to condemn the world, but that the world might be saved through him. Jesus comes to this world. He becomes incarnate out of love for us. Yet he spends the overwhelming majority of his time with Mary, his mother. Thirty years Jesus gave to her alone. And he gave three years to the rest of humanity. Bishop Fulton Sheen said that our Lord spent three hours in redeeming, three years in teaching, and 30 years in obeying. Who was he obeying? His mother. Which for him was an expression of the Father's will. Jesus gave himself to Mary more than anyone. That's why it's completely impossible. You can never love Mary more than Jesus did. You can try, but you won't even get close. And the last one is that, you know, for many people, especially many modern people, the Ten Commandments are a bunch of rigid, old-fashioned, and moralistic laws. But for Jesus, the Ten Commandments were a way to love and to honor his Father, who is love, who is not old-fashioned, and who's not rigid, or moralistic. Jesus embraced all of the commandments, obviously, with love and devotion, which, of course, includes the fourth commandment, to honor his father and his mother. By honoring his mother, Jesus was obedient to her. Hence, he gave herself totally to her. What does Luke tell us after Jesus is found in the temple after three days? We hear that Jesus went down with them, Mary and Joseph, and came to Nazareth and was obedient to them. So what's the point of mentioning all of this? 
It's simply to show that Jesus himself did not hesitate to give himself to Mary. How then could we do anything different? Why would we want to do anything different other than what God has already done? So I think for us then, the real question is, how do we do this in real life? You know, honestly, it's really simple. I think generally, we begin in the morning by offering everything to Mary. You know, every morning, one of the first things I do is I always surrender to Mary three specific things. My priesthood, my vows, and my will. Because within those three things, at least for me, is really the culmination of of everything that I will encounter throughout the day. Whether it's any ministry, any encounters with people, any discernment that I need to make. I always offer her those three things for the glory of God. And then we simply renew this prayer throughout the day. You know, I don't try, I try not to do anything. Let me rephrase that. There's too many negatives in there. I don't try to do anything without Our Lady. Before every activity, before every time of prayer, before every appointment or meeting with somebody, I try at least simply to ask Mary just to be with me. Be with me, Mary, during this time of prayer. How beautiful it is that when we, have, when we begin uh, a holy hour, to begin by simply just asking Mary to be with us and to pray with us. How important it would be before we have a difficult conversation with somebody to simply ask Mary, Mary, please just be with me in this conversation. Or even in a time of of leisure and fraternity, asking Mary to just be with us in her motherly presence. And of course, she already is. But this act of inviting her awakens us more deeply to her presence. And so it basically means never doing anything without Mary. And so we're not talking about something here that is time-consuming or that it's meant to be overly emotional, emotionally straining. It just simply involves a conscious and intentional inviting her more deeply into our lives. Because she, like God, is always present to us. 
And she, like God and us, like to be invited. Neither she or God will force their presence upon us. And so the great work in this, in this fully consecrating ourselves to her, is simply us opening our heart more deeply to her. Giving ourselves fully to her. Just like Jesus did. And again, just my own opinion here, but it seems to me this is one of the most powerful and beautiful things that we can do for our relationship with God. Simply because as we invite her more deeply into our lives and give ourselves more fully to her, we will encounter God much more deeply than we ever could by ourselves. Things like how we pray and our personal experiences of prayer, all of those things, again, are important. But it seems to me that this way of Mary, or union with Mary, takes us so far beyond ourselves where the emphasis changes from how I do things in my relationship to God to a deeper amazement and wonder at the mystery of Christ, to which, of course, Mary leads us to. <coughs> and so if we follow this way of Mary, the experience of the Magi and so many others will be ours as well. That whenever we see the child, it will always be with Mary, his mother. So let us not be afraid then to give ourselves more fully to Mary so that we can know and love her child even more. Thank mm-hmm. you.